Well, we're in John 10. And uh, if you need a Bible, would you please raise your hand high? We'd love to get one to you. And feel free to keep this if you'd like, or you can leave it on your chair. But join me in John chapter 10. We are following Jesus together in this Gospel of John. And the subtitle for taking notes is, I am the Good Shepherd. John 10 is a well-known and famous passage. Jesus is going to give us two more of his I am statements. Uh, But there's also some very sobering things that he says. So without further ado, what I want to begin with is read verses 9 through 11 to set God's word before us, pray, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So if you join me in John 10, look along at verse 9. Jesus is speaking and he's saying, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Well, this is God's word. Let's look to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your son and your spirit. We thank you, Lord, that your word tastes good. Your word is, is enriching and powerful. It's, it's sweeter than honey to our lips for your sheep. We thank you, Lord, that with your word you feed our souls. Your spirit uses your word to transform us into the image of the good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that your word is your voice written. And so we pray that we would hear your voice, Lord Jesus, in your word preached this morning, that by your spirit, you would call us by name to yourself. You would add sheep to your fold and that those of us who are your sheep, Lord Jesus, would you, would you strengthen us and would you embolden us and would you fortify us with your grace this morning. To that end, Lord, would you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as I said a few moments ago, we are in John chapter 10, finally. And here in John 10, we are uh, encountering one of the greatest passages that describes who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus in um, his description of himself to us, helps us understand how God cares for his people. It's one thing to say God cares for his people, beautiful truth, but it's another thing when the Lord uses illustrations to help us understand what that actually means, gives it texture and hue and color and more. Well, here we are in John 10, and the way we're approaching the passage this morning is we're going to take two laps through the text. So there's two points. Number one, if you're taking notes, we're going to see distinguishing marks of a false shepherd. As I prepare to read the text for us more fully, you're going to see that not only does our text give us this exquisite and amazing portrait of what God is like, but we're also going to see how God is angered and how God is Uh, His justice is invoked against false shepherds. And so we're going to see yet another verbal duel take place with Jesus and the religious leaders here in John chapter 10. So point number one is distinguishing marks of false shepherds. And then point number two is distinguishing marks of the true shepherd, the, the good shepherd. And so we're going to take two laps through our text this morning. So if you would... Uh, Look again with me at John 10. I'm going to begin in verse 1 and read down to verse 13. In this first lap of reading, as we're looking at distinguishing marks of a false shepherd, please tune your ears to the negative things that Jesus says regarding false shepherds. And he's going to talk about thieves and wolves. He's talking about false shepherds. So beginning in verse 1, distinguishing marks of a false shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Well, if you have spent much time reading scripture, especially the Old Testament, shepherds and sheep is one of the main illustrations of scripture that God uses. Uh, Even today, Uh, In the New Testament, even when we attend church, we call those who provide leadership over us pastors, which is just the Latin form of the word sheep, shepherd. So shepherds and sheep is one of the main illustrations of scripture that God uses. Why? Why does God use illustrations and metaphors and things along those lines? God uses them because there's things that he wants you to understand about yourself. There is a reason why God calls his people his sheep. There's things that he wants us to understand about him, and there's things that God wants us to understand about those he places in authority and leadership over his people. We think that we are strong. We think that we are independent We think that we are wise. We think that we are self-sufficient to which God replies, no, you're sheep. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep are weak. Sheep are dependent. Sheep need shepherds. And sheep oftentimes are foolish. And so God wants us to recognize that a sheep's condition illustrates our own condition. You and I are defenseless. You and I are weak. You and I are dependent and oftentimes we can be foolish. And God designed sheep to need shepherds. So to God's people and over God's people, God has designated human shepherds. In fact, God has called a shepherd of his people sheep as far back as Genesis 48. It's one of the chief metaphors and titles of God across scripture is that he is the shepherd. And there's a key detail that you need to know. It's this. As with every name of God, every title of God, every description of God, they are all covenantal in nature. Meaning, God is not the loving, caring, and defending shepherd of the Philistines or the Egyptians or the Babylonians. Whenever God has a title or description, it's helping us understand his relationship to his 
covenant people. It's exclusively covenantal. Only, in this case, in the Old Testament, the Israelites could call God their shepherd, not the Egyptians, not the Babylonians. Only his covenant people are his sheep, and those outside his covenant are designated as wolves and goats. But there's another layer to this. Yes, God is a shepherd of his people, but the predominant use of the idea of shepherds in the Old Testament is the human leaders in place over God's people. So in the Old Testament, God describes all leaders, he sits over his people as shepherds. All the judges in the book of Judges are considered shepherds. All the kings are considered shepherds. All the prophets are considered shepherds, and all the priests are considered shepherds. So it speaks to how they are supposed to relate to God's people that they are an authority over. And it also communicates that, yes, they have authority, but it's a delegated authority from God, who's the ultimate shepherd. They are under shepherds. The shepherds are to defend the sheep from predators. They're to feed and strengthen and make wise the sheep with God's word. And the shepherds were to fear God and to walk in God's ways in front of the sheep so the sheep would also walk in those same steps. That was their duty. The king, if you read Deuteronomy, was supposed to write his own handwritten personal copy of Torah that he would read every day as he sat on the throne. The priests were to teach the Bible to the people and the judges and the kings and the prophets were to establish justice, which meant obedience to God's covenant ways and more. But have you read the Old Testament? If you know the biblical story, you know there's a problem of setting up this beautiful picture of the leaders being shepherds over God's people. Aside from a handful, a few true shepherds along the way, Abraham, Moses, David, Josiah, Ezekiel, nearly all the judges, nearly all the kings, nearly all the prophets, nearly all the priests proved to be false shepherds. They were in the position of leadership. They claimed authority for themselves, but they were false shepherds, and they were false shepherds because they broke God's covenant. So in this case, in the Old Testament, think Ten Commandments. They broke all the Ten Commandments. Rather than representing God to the people, they gave anti-representation of God to the people. Rather than walking in God's word and life-giving ways, they looked at the surrounding nations and their pagan religions and philosophies and politics and more, and they married those ideas. It's the sin of syncretism. They took a little bit of this one, a little bit of that one, and they married it to their biblical faith, which then turned it into an unbiblical faith. They became false shepherds. Even worse... The common reality in the Old Testament is as the shepherds go, so go the people. And because the shepherds, whether it was judges or kings or prophets or priests, because they broke God's covenant, the people followed suit and were characterized over and over again as doing the same of disobeying God's word, disregarding what he said, and breaking covenant. The false shepherds proved that even though they may have been part of the old covenant physically, they were spiritually outside the covenant. They were not saved. And so God sent prophets. Now we have the writing prophets, Isaiah and Malachi, and they were the good guys. They listened to God. But when you read through the prophets, you find that there were multitudes of false prophets who rose up and would say, thus saith the Lord, and say nothing that God said. They were false prophets. And so there's a, this mounting tension across the writing prophets of God's attitude and his justice, his boot of vengeance, as going to come against false shepherds. And there is no chapter that better explains and summarizes 
what it means for false shepherds and false sheep and God as the true shepherd than Ezekiel chapter 34. So I would invite you, join me in Ezekiel 34. I am going to read all 31 verses of this chapter to us to understand God's promises and prophecies, both of what he would do to and with false shepherds and what he would do in the future to remedy false shepherds. Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones. But you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search Or seek for them. Therefore, verse 7. You shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey. And my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts. Since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep. But the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, You shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For, verse 11, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak and the fat. And the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, verse 17, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself, will judge between fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant, David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers in their season. They shall be showers of blessing. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And the earth shall yield its increase. And they shall be secure in their land. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke. And deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They shall no more be a prey to the nations. Nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, And I am your God, declares the Lord God. Praise God. That's what God thinks about false shepherds. That's what God thinks about even false sheep who fight against other sheep. And that's also what God thinks, rather has planned and prophesied that he would do, that he would send his servant, David. And whenever the writing prophets speak of David, they're speaking of the forthcoming king in the flesh, Jesus Christ, God the Son. When it speaks of God sending David, who shall feed and shepherd them, this is Jesus in John 10 speaking to these religious leaders and and more so in Ezekiel 34:25 when it says I will make with them a covenant of peace in the prophets that's the everlasting covenant of peace what we call the new covenant what Jesus ratified on the evening of the last supper God himself promised that all of these false shepherds he would wipe away and he would gather the scattered from among the nations. And as we're going to, we heard a little bit ago and we'll hear again soon that Jesus has sheep of outside the fold of Israel, namely Gentiles also whom he would bring in. And these hard, stern, strong and good words of Ezekiel 34 that God himself would come down to rescue his people. It brings us to this moment in John chapter 10. All across the gospel of John, Every single chapter, nearly every single verse, the religious leaders have been opposed to and against Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh. And what the religious leaders fail to realize is that Jesus speaks in John 10, Jesus is giving commentary to Ezekiel 34 that we just read. And what the religious leaders fail to realize is that they are those false shepherds that God spoke against in Ezekiel 34. And that Jesus is the son of David, made flesh, come down to rescue the lost sheep of both Israel and the Gentiles. They fail to realize that Jesus is the true David, come down to shepherd his people, to rescue his people from their mouths. Jesus has come to rescue the sheep. Jesus has come to rescue you and me. 
These religious leaders are those who are the thieves and the robbers who, who seek to steal, kill, and destroy. They're the ones who break covenant. Though under the cloak of keeping covenant, they are, they are spewing twisted words, taking God's word and recrafting God's word into their own image in their own ways for self-righteous purposes. The way they speak of Jesus, the way they treat Jesus, their posture toward Jesus prove they're false shepherds and false sheep because the sheep listen to Jesus' voice. The shepherds, under shepherds, listen to Jesus' voice. Woe to the people when false shepherds are over them. And we'll return to this point because the New Testament also speaks that false shepherds will arise even in this day under the new covenant era of Christ. But here is Jesus standing, saying these words about thieves and robbers and, and more, and these religious leaders smugly and self-righteously are self-congratulating that they are not those false shepherds, and they are by their opposition to Jesus. Which leads us then to the second point, and the second lap through our text, verses 1 through 18, distinguishing marks of the true shepherd. If the false shepherds feed themselves, are harsh with the sheep, care nothing with the sheep, and more, what does the true shepherd do? So now as we listen to the second lap of the text, listen to the positive things that Jesus says of himself. Beginning in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own by name, his own sheep by name. And leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, verse 7, Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And they'll go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, that are not of this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Well, there embedded in John 10 are the distinguishing marks of the true shepherd, God in the flesh. 
So in contrast to the false shepherds who were looking right into Jesus' eyes and the bystanders hearing Jesus' words as Jesus explains and exposits Ezekiel 34 about being the good shepherd, here in John 10, we encounter the third and fourth I am statements of Jesus made famous in this gospel account. In verses 7 and 9, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. And five other times, three explicitly, Jesus also says, I am the good shepherd. What does this mean? You see, the false shepherds, they shut the way to God because they did not know God. The religious leaders in Jesus' day and in the old days and still false teachers today, false shepherds today, they pervert God's word by turning it into man-made rules and man-made false righteousness that you can do things to earn God's favor. But not Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the sole and exclusive way to God because he is God. There is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved. You need to believe that. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. You can picture this high and mighty and impenetrable wall. There's no way around it, no way over it, and there's one singular door to right relationship with God, and that door's name is Jesus Christ. Here's why you need to believe this. Because our world is full of philosophers and philosophies and religious gurus and so-called sacred texts and political leaders and political ideals who want to give you some type of utopia, some type of heaven without Christ. And they're all false. They're all false gospels, false philosophies, false religious gurus, false political leaders and ideologies that cannot save, even though they're all striving for human man-made utopia. That's what the beginning of verse 10 is when Jesus says that these false shepherds, these thieves do one thing, steal, kill, and destroy. And here's the thing about a false shepherd. They look like a shepherd. They do shepherd-like things. They act like shepherds. They talk like shepherds. They might be very kind and have pious voices or good ideas or more. And Jesus is stepping up and saying, nope, the sheep hear his voice. The sheep recognize that Jesus alone is the door. Jesus' way is narrow and straight and broad and wide is the road to destruction, he says elsewhere. You see, the beauty and comfort for our souls in verses 7 and 9 when Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep, is he makes it really simple and really secure and not confusing. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But how then do you know you're one of Jesus' sheep? Because... It was clear in Ezekiel 34 that there were even false sheep who were muddying the waters and ruining the fields and using their horns to butt and kick out and scatter other sheep. So it wasn't just false shepherds. There was also false sheep. Well, here in this, in in John 10, there's a number of different places that Jesus gives evidences of how you know that you're one of his sheep. Verse 4 and 5, he says, the sheep follow him. And here it is. They know his voice. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from him, for they do not know the stranger's voice. Or, or, or jump down to verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold, meaning Gentiles, non-Jews. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So all sheep, all future sheep who will be saved will hear the voice of Christ So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Or back up to verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. There it is again. Hearing his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Or if we cheat ahead to next week, 
and look down at verses 26 and 27, rebuking the religious leaders in John 10, Jesus says, you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Well, how do you know that you're a sheep of the good shepherd? It's because Jesus called you by name. Did you hear that when he said that he calls his sheep by name? Jesus didn't die for an idea. Jesus didn't die for an opportunity. When Jesus hung on that cross, he died for the effective salvation of his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. He died for you by name. And friend, it may be that you're in here right now and you don't know Christ and he is speaking to you from his word and you're hearing him call your name to turn from your sin and believe. Friend, do that. Believe that this shepherd has laid down his life by taking our sins upon himself on that cross, being buried and then raising from the grave for our salvation. How do you know you follow Jesus? Because he calls your name in the proclamation of the gospel and you say, yes, I believe, I repent and I turn and I follow you. You you believe in Jesus, you hear his voice, not esoterically, Not subjective feeling that you have that you make up baptizing your own feelings and intuitions. No. You know where his voice is? In the book in your lap. That's where his voice is. Right here. So to hear his voice is to hear him call your name in the gospel, to repent and to believe, and then to read the Bible, all of it, all of its red letter, it's all the word of Christ. This book right here is his voice to you. And so we as his sheep love his word. We want it exposed to us. It's confusing, it's hard, it's delicious, it's sweeter than honey more valuable than all treasure in the world, and yet we love it and we believe it and we follow our shepherd's voice. We live in this highly emotional, subjective age where people are just taking their feelings and baptizing them as what Jesus says. That is false. This is his word. And we follow what he says in his word. And so that's important because the false teachers... Tell us to follow our hearts and baptize our feelings contrary to the word of God because false teachers want to tell you that, well, sin is not sinful. But you know you're one of Jesus' sheep because you hear his voice and you follow Jesus on Jesus' terms and your devotion and your affection are for the Savior. In 2 Timothy 3, there's a beautiful admonition to preachers and pastors and elders to preach the word without compromise, to tell its truth. But then in verse 3 and 4, we're told part of the reason why we do that. 2 Timothy 3, 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, right? To tell them what they want to hear. Verse 4, And they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so Paul in 2 Timothy calls those wolves, calls them false teachers, false shepherds. And then this time is coming. This is, this is future still of 2 Timothy and it's characteristic of our day and age when people want to curate their own board of elders and their own pastors digitally, right? Letting false teachers creep into households through your phones and more to curate those who will tell you what you want to hear rather than what Jesus says from his word. False shepherds are false teachers and they tell you that sin is not sinful, They'll tell you Jesus is not the only way. They pervert Jesus' teaching and turn Jesus into a fake God in their own image rather than telling us the truth and conforming us into 
Jesus' image. They want to tell you that Jesus is not the only way, not the only truth, and not the only life. And so Jesus is looking at these religious leaders and rebuking them by explaining Ezekiel 34, and all those who are hearing are meant to believe that Jesus is this good shepherd. He is David, the servant made flesh, there dwelling among them. And what the sheep do when they look at the door and they want to enter the narrow way of Jesus, it, and when they, when they want to hear Jesus' voice, do you know who they're like? Do you know who you're like? We're to be like the Bereans. Do you, do you remember what Paul, how he commended a group of people in the town of Berea in Acts 17.11? What does he say? So Paul comes into town, he goes to the synagogue, and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, opening up the mysteries of the OT to let them know the new T has happened, the new covenant is here. And they, it says in verse 11, receive the word with all eagerness. But then note this, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things, Paul's teaching, were so. So they heard what he said, they liked what he said, they liked the good news he was giving, but then they opened up their Bibles in the evenings together and said, is what he said in accordance with what God's word says? They tested everything by the word of God, not what they felt. They liked what he said, but they didn't use their feelings as the arbiter of truth. They used the scriptures as the arbiter of truth. Friends, you must do the same. The Bible is the light and lamp to our feet, not how you feel. But then what does it mean if Jesus is the exclusive door? I am the door. What does it mean that Jesus is the good shepherd? Well, it means many things, but here's what Jesus emphasizes. Look look at verse 11. What makes him good and noble? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The irony, just pausing there for a moment, is that we have already seen a handful of times that these religious leaders keep trying to kill Jesus, pick up rocks to throw at him until they would kill him, and he would slip away. But here he is prophesying, he's declaring that he is going to lay down his life for his sheep. And again in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. Or, or down to verses 17 and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Not meaning that the Father didn't love him eternally as the second person of the Trinity. It means that his working out the gospel and performing the gospel in our place is an evidence of the Father's love for him. Verse 18, no one takes it, Jesus' life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. You see, Jesus is the good shepherd, but not only does he call his sheep and rescue his sheep and lead his sheep, the, the pinnacle of the goodness of the good shepherd is that he lays down his life for the sheep. Now, they didn't understand then in this moment in the gospel account as it unfolds that he was referring to the cross. That the good shepherd was going to go up onto that wooden cross and bear the sins and penalties and wrath of God of his people and, and for his people as their substitute to be buried and then rise from the grave. They didn't get it, but the good shepherd does this for his people. He dies for his people. He dies so they wouldn't have to eternally die under God's justice and wrath. The good shepherd is the good savior. And notice who he dies for. He doesn't die for the false shepherds. He lays down his life for the sheep. He takes his sheep's sin upon himself and rescues them from the wrath to come. He rescues you. If you're a believer here this morning, you can savor and worship and treasure your good shepherd because he has rescued you from God's wrath. 
He's reminding you from this place that God is not at war with you. He has rescued you and made you his precious flock. But more than that, more than that, if there can be something more than the cross, what is so powerful and mighty about this good shepherd, did you, I don't know if you caught it, do you see what he says about his death and his resurrection? This is how powerful and strong and sturdy and mighty our king shepherd is. No one takes his life from him. That's how powerful gentle Jesus is. He lays down his life of his own accord. Yes, God predetermined that the Jews and the Romans and all the world would be united against him on that day to hang him and nail him with those nine-inch nails upon that cross that he would suffocate to death and die a bloody, gruesome death. But no one had power over Jesus when that happened. That was him laying down his life of his own accord because the Father gave him authority to do that. That's how powerful the good shepherd is. But more than that, more than that, if you look again at verses 17 and 18, in verse 18, uh, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And note this, I have authority to take it up again. You, you see, you read the New Testament and the Father is the primary member of the Trinity described as raising Jesus from the dead. And the New Testament describes the Father using the agency of the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, to rise Jesus from the dead. But here, in John 10, verses 17 and 18, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. It's Jesus who raises himself from the dead. That's how powerful he is. In his meekness, He is mighty. That's what makes him the good shepherd. So he hung, he, he, he hung himself, he died on that cross at the hands of brutal, sinful men. He was buried, and in that grave, he conquered and killed death. And then you know what he did? Dusted himself up. Got up and rose himself from the grave. Folded his grave's cloths and walked out of the tomb because he is the Savior. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This Jesus is the Jesus who is calling to you now to repent and to believe and reminding you now of how good the shepherd is that he died and rose for you because his resurrection is the promise of your most assured resurrection too. And it's because he lays down his life, it's because he takes his life up again that verse 10 can be in your Bible. Not the beginning part about the thieves who steal, kill, and destroy, but the second part. What does Jesus accomplish in dying and rising in our place? I came that they, the true sheep, might have life and have it abundantly. The shepherds, the good shepherd's temporary death gives his sheep eternal life unshakable, unlosable, infinitely secure life. Do you want that? The, the good shepherd's valiant resurrection of himself from the grave gives his sheep life in eternal abundance. Do you see the word abundantly? That is not just a description of future glory on the new heavens and new earth. It's a description from the moment that you hear Jesus calling you personally in the gospel and believing that your abundant life begins then as he pours out his spirit upon you and within you to seal you forever for his promised inheritance. If we peek ahead to next week, verses 28 and 29, here's how the good shepherd is so strong. This is what it means that Jesus is the good shepherd. He he truly gives you eternal security. Listen to verses 28 and 29. Picture in your mind the portrait Jesus paints. I give them, verse 28, eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all 
and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Who's holding you? Do you see the Trinity? Jesus is holding you and, and he, it says that you will never perish and no one will snatch you out, out of his hand. But then he says the Father who gives the sheep to the good shepherd, no one's able to snatch them out of, out of their hand. And it's as if God is either holding both your hands or on another scale holding you within both his hands. That you are perfectly, eternally secure in the hands of the Father and the Son. This does not deny that we will have tribulation and sorrow and hardship, even persecution and possible martyrdom in this world. But that does not for a moment tarnish the reality of the abundant life of rejoicing and feasting and listening to the voice of God, the voice of Christ in his word. Jesus' words are an invitation, if you don't know him, to believe and become part of the flock and discover that he has laid down his life for you. And for those of us who do know him, it's these words of Jesus that are meant to fortify our bones and put gospel uh, accents into our mouths to preach this good news that there is a good shepherd who lays down his life for us, who loves us, and gives us this song to sing. Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus leads me beside still waters. Jesus restores my soul. Jesus leads me in paths of righteousness for Jesus' name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, Jesus, are with me. Jesus, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Jesus, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen? Father, thank you for the gift of the good shepherd, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of you come down to rescue us from the mouths of wolves and false shepherds to make us your true sheep. And Lord, this is good news to be proclaimed that there is a door and it is open and his name is Jesus and there is a gospel to believe to add more to the flock. So there's one flock and one shepherd. So Lord, save in this place and mobilize us, your sheep, to proclaim this gospel so that others too might believe. And those of us, Lord, who maybe feel discouraged, who are confused at what the truth is, would you let us hear and feast upon your voice in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.